Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Starting a series in Jonah. You find Jonah in the Bible, so if you've got a Bible, you'll find a book in that book called Jonah, um, and it's in the Old Testament. Some of you are getting there already. If you've got a Bible with you, if not, don't worry. By the power of technology, it will appear on the screen behind me. But there's a book called Jonah, and it's at the end of the Old Testament, so that's where you can begin to look. If you don't know where it is, there's a contents page in the beginning of your Bible, which will tell you roughly where it is, hopefully. So that's where we're going to be, and we've called this series, What Lies Beneath? Which is kind of a clever play on the idea that it's Jonah and the whale and underwater, and that's what we know about the story, right? But it's also asking the question of what lies beneath this story? The story that, that inspired stories like Moby Dick, the giant fish that eats a man, and what the heck's all that about? Well, well what lies beneath? What, what are the questions? What are the, what are the things that God would say to us beneath this, this narrative? What's it all about? And so that's, that's what we're, where we're going to go tonight. We're going to get there and read it in a minute. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to someone. Um, on the screen behind me, that's me. That's me aged four and a bit. So that's me. That was my first school photo. So in that photo, I'm about four and a half years old, I think. Um, I was at Cliverger Home Church of England Primary School, my first ever school just outside of Burnley, which is where I'm from. And, and I, I show you this to a little bit of context for another story I'm going to tell you. When I was about four and a half years old, my brother had his second birthday party. So that, that, that cheeky, but a little, but a wouldn't melt little boy up there, that's who we're talking about. Me, aged four and a half. And it was my brother's birthday, and, and he, um, he had a little party. I mean, he didn't personally have it, he was two, but my, my mum organized a party for him and invited friends over, and she'd made a cake and she topped the cake, and I think it had his name on it, and it said, happy birthday. The candles weren't in it yet. We hadn't come to that part yet, but the cake was ready. The table was, was spread. My mum was busying herself in the kitchen, and she'd given me some stern words. She said, Aaron, it's not your birthday. It's your brother's birthday. So don't, don't touch your brother's cake. It's for him. It's his birthday, not your birthday. If you're a good boy, maybe later on, you might get a slice of cake, but it's not yours. It's not your birthday. You have to wait. Now, now, why is it that as soon as someone forbids something, it instantly becomes so much more attractive, doesn't it? Maybe it's just me. But as soon as, I, as soon as she said that, and as soon as she'd left the room, all that was on my mind was, how am I going to get that cake inside me fast? I want to eat it. I'm like, at least I was at that age, one of the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Have you seen Finding Nemo? There's this thing that the seagulls say. They fly around, and, and the only thing they say is, mine, mine, mine. That's what they say. I've been working on my impression. I think it's all right, isn't it? <laughs> mine, 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 mine. So whenever they, and seagulls are like that, aren't they? As soon as they see the slightest bit of food, they're after it. It's mine. I'm going to have it. Well, that's what I was like when I was four. I haven't changed that much, really. I saw something in front of me, and I wanted it. And so I, I stepped over to the cake, and to begin with, I just began to pick off some of the toppings and eat them. And with my two-year-old brother by my side, helping him out of the way, I then thought, well, I'm going to have a, I better have a slice of cake. That's how you eat it, isn't it? But I didn't have any way of cutting it, so I just grabbed kind of a slice handful and pulled it out. 
So I started eating the cake, and I thought, if I, if I hang around here too long, I'm going to get caught. My mum's going to come in, she's going to see what I've done, busted. I know what I'll do. I'll take and I'll hide and eat the cake. So I picked up the cake, and I left the room, and I went up the stairs, and I went into my bedroom, and I hid under my bed and began eating the rest of this cake. Shocking, isn't it? Some of you are thinking, how could you? Even at four, you're so selfish. I was. And, and I began to feel sick, as you can imagine. And we'll, we'll come back to that story later on. But bear it in mind. Because what we're thinking about this evening is obedience and disobedience. To obey or not to obey. And that's, that's what I think we're finding in this first look at the book of Jonah. We're going to look at the whole of chapter 1. Because, because I've, been, I've been a Christian for about eight years, give or take. And in that time, in that time, I guess, at the beginning of that time, I decided that, that Jesus was going to be the Lord of my life. I decided that if I was going to live under any authority, if I was going to be obedient to anyone, it was going to be him. That's what I was going to try and do with my life. And I naively thought that it was a one-time decision. I just thought, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus from now on. Sorted. But actually, it's looked much more like daily, even moment-by-moment decisions to say yes to following Jesus. There have been times where it's felt easy. Where following Jesus, being obedient to him, has just been like breathing. It's just been natural. Of course. Do this. Don't do that. That would be good for you. Step into this. Why are you doing that? Leave that behind. Of course. Of course. I trust you, God. But there have also been times where, where um, along that journey, it's felt like a wrestle. It's felt at times like, like obedience to God is an all-out assault on my hopes and dreams. Why would God want me to do that? Why would God bring that into my life? Why can't I do that that I see in front of me? Why? Wouldn't I be happier just eating cake under the bed? I know best. And so in Jonah chapter 1, we find a man who disobeys God. A man who disobeys God and then runs and hides under the bed. So let's read Jonah chapter 1 together. If you think you've ever had a bad, bad day, listen to this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. This is God speaking to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, hiding and running away. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, 
Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. Nice guys, aren't they? But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. That sound effect. (laughs) At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Last verse. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We'll pick up more of that next week. What a story. And I think, I think, helpful for us in understanding obedience and disobedience. To obey or to disobey. And the first thing to say at the beginning of this as we understand this chapter is that God speaks. You might read this story and think, that doesn't apply to me because God doesn't speak to me in the way that, that he speaks to Jonah. So, so I don't have to obey because God hasn't spoken that way. I just want to dispel that from the start. Sorry to break this to you, but, but God is always speaking. You don't have to be long around the Bible or around the church or in prayer before you recognize that God is speaking, that God has things to say about our lives, about how we live, about what we do, about where we're going. And and the words that God speaks are words of life. God speaks out of love for us, for our good. Now, God is not a cruel taskmaster. So when we're talking here about obedience or disobedience, God is not some drill sergeant saying, drop and give me 20. God is saying, this is your best possible life. Would you step into it? He's got that bigger perspective. He is God. And sometimes, sometimes when we hear God speak, we're more confident than other times that it's him. But the issue The issue in this, the issue at hand, is is not that Jonah didn't hear God speak. The issue at hand is, is not that I didn't, at the age of four, hear my mother's warning. The question is, will I obey it, or will I choose to disobey it? The challenge is being willing to hear and respond. So God speaks to Jonah. 
And Jonah refuses. He flat out refuses. In one of the most ridiculous things ever, he refuses and then tries to run away from God. And we think, fool, what a muppet. Who would do that? Why, why wouldn't Jonah go? Well, for a start, Nineveh. God asks him to go to Nineveh. And God himself says the wickedness of Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh. I don't want to go into too much graphic detail about the people of Nineveh. But, but one thing that the historians know about Nineveh is that they would skin their enemies alive. Ooh, it's kind of Game of Thrones, isn't it? They were ruthless and brutal, and they hated the Hebrews. Jonah is a Hebrew. There was, in fact, at the same time that Jonah was around, I'm sure he would have heard of it, a prophecy, a word spoken by a holy man who was one of the Hebrews who said that one day the people of Nineveh will conquer and rule over us. Not yet, but one day that will happen. So you can imagine God and Jonah having this kind of conversation where Jonah's saying, so the, the ones who, you know, the, the skin alive ones, yeah, those guys who, who hate me and one day are going to rule and conquer our people. You want me to go to them? God says, yeah, you know them, right? I want you to go there. I want you to preach to them. I want you to go to that city. And so we can empathize, can't we, when Jonah, Jonah says no. And, and I think more than fear, although I'm sure Jonah was afraid to go, more than perhaps you know, feeling like he wasn't the right man for the job, which maybe he didn't, more than any of those things, I think the root of this, the root of his disobedience is trust. Trust. Jonah doesn't trust that God knows best. So when Jonah, when God says go, Jonah says no. Because, because what if God leaves me out to dry? Or what if I get you know, skinned alive by some nutters? What about that? He's questioning, does God really love me? You know, would a loving God send me to such a horrible place? And when it comes to where I go and what I do and how I spend my life, do I trust that God is for me and that he loves me? Do I trust that, that, that his plan is the best plan? Or am I like one of the seagulls in Finding Nemo? just grabbing at what I see in front of me that I know will satisfy me or what I think will satisfy me? Will I respond with obedience even when I don't see favorable outcomes? Or do I only follow God when the path seems to suit me? When Jonah says no to God, he's saying, I don't trust you. I wonder, have you ever, have you ever resisted the call of God? Sounds pretty heavy, doesn't it? Have you ever felt God saying to do something and you've just gone, been like, oh, pretending I didn't hear that? I don't think so. You know he's asked you to do something. When you, you, you stayed when you should have gone or you've gone when you should have stayed. I'm, I'm in the middle of one of those moments at the moment. I'm in the middle of that because I feel like God is calling me to go. And so, as Thomas introduced me earlier, I'm, I'm Aaron and I'm leading a missional community. And, and my hope, and the thing that I think God has called me to, is to plant a church out of this one 
into the community where I live, which is a, which is a scary thing to do. But I think God has called me to do it. And, I, and it's scary because, because I like it here. This is a great church. It's really nice. People here are excellent. You know, this, this up here, it's so slick and polished. It's nice, isn't it? Not me, but everything else is awesome. You know, you come in on a Sunday and there's tea and coffee and you can take a seat and you don't have to worry about who's doing what and what's going on. It's great. And the journey that God is calling me to at the moment is moving away from the big, from this, which is all I've really ever known of church, towards something that's small, towards the few, away from the crowds, towards people who who aren't like me, where I'm not comfortable. But that's what God has called me to. And it's, it's hard, honestly, it's hard to trust God when I feel like he's taking me to places where I'll be outside of my comfort zone. You know, it's, it's hard to say yes when everything inside of me and everything around me wants to say no. And so the question is this, do I trust that God has spoken in love for me? Do I trust that in going to the new place, he has more for me there? That he's to be trusted. That the call he's given to me is for my good. Even when it doesn't really look like it. Or it isn't necessarily obvious. And so maybe right now, the thing that's right in front of you is a decision to be made. About a job, or about where you live, or about who you marry, or whatever it might be. Maybe it's a big thing like that where God is calling you to be obedient to him. Or or maybe it's not a big thing. Maybe for most of us, it's a small thing. Maybe you feel like, okay, I feel like I'm on track at the moment. I feel like I'm in the right place where God would want me to be. And maybe I've got the right job and and I'm in the right city and I'm going to the right church. But but, but somehow, somehow I just feel like I'm drifting. Ever felt like that? Just drifting. It's like somewhere along the way we've kind of checked out, going through the motions. Like, to put it into this story, like our bodies are in Nineveh, but our hearts are sailing on their way to Tarshish. We said, okay, I'm going to be in this place, but I'm not really in this place. We've kind of tuned out God's voice. Or, Or we're maybe not making the most of the opportunities around us. Or maybe we've just had a bad attitude. Maybe. Maybe we've let things slide. And we know that that we're running to other things before God for our fulfillment. Maybe that's where we're at. So we don't do this very often, but I want you to... We're just going to stop for a second. I want you to think. Big decision. Small decision. What's your next step of obedience? What's the next step? What's the next thing? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? The single thing where you think, I have a choice there to obey or to disobey. What's the next step of obedience? What is God saying? And what am I going to do about it? I don't know what that is for you right now. But if there's one thing that the story of Jonah shows us, It's that anything that doesn't lead us forward leads us backwards. Anything that doesn't lead us forward leads us backwards. 
my friend Richard, who is somewhere out of the back, I didn't expect him to be here this evening, but he's here, and, and we used to, we're both pretty, you know, buff guys, we used to go to the gym together. Um, <laughs> we're not. We used to go to the gym together. We used to mainly just go there to try and make each other laugh while we were lifting weights, which was an awful experience. So we used to go to the gym, and, and, and one of the things that he would say to me was, if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards, which is a pretty intense thing to say. But it's true, it's true of the gym, It's true of the spiritual life, I think, as well. That if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards. If you skip a week, you don't pick back up again where you left off. Because you know the pain of that first gym session back. If you're not moving forwards, you're actually moving backwards. There's no neutral ground here. The choice for Jonah is not stay where you are or come over here. He can't stay where he is. He has to run away and hide. So it's Follow me or go your own way. What doesn't lead us forwards leads us backwards. And we see it in the passage. God tells Jonah to go. The word go in the original language is the word arise. Arise. To get up. To wake up. He's asking Jonah to rise up. To take his place. He's urging him on to be all that he can be. Would you go? And Jonah, as we know, says, no thanks, God. Don't like that idea. And instead of rising up, he goes down. Down. Down to Joppa. Down below deck on the ship, where he lay down. Down into the depths of the sea. Down into the belly of the fish. Down. What doesn't lead us forward leads us backwards. Jonah, this man of God, is called to arise, but in his disobedience, he goes down and down and down. So he chose a different course. And he boards this boat to Tarshish. And for a while, it probably feels pretty good. He's probably thinking, man, I'm glad I didn't go to Nineveh. Gosh, can you imagine what would have happened? But you can't outrun God. And God sends a great wind on the sea, It's almost like God is prompting him. Are you sure you want to go this way, Jonah? The sea isn't very calm this way. This isn't my path for you. And and just like us, Jonah's next move is absolutely textbook. What does he do? Does he he kneel down on the ship's deck and say, Lord, forgive me, would you help turn the ship around and I'll, I'll do what you asked? No. He goes below deck and goes to sleep. He goes below deck and he goes to sleep. He takes the cake under the bed and keeps eating. He tries to hide. He refuses to face up. In his pride, he won't turn back. And that that can be so often what we're like. Instead of turning back, we press further in. Or we we hope somehow that the thing that got us into the mess can, can get us out of it if we just persevere. If I just eat the whole cake, things aren't bad enough yet. And if they were, he'd probably turn back. So finally, finally, the sailors call him out. The sea's getting rougher and rougher. What should we do? And they call him out, and he he finally confesses. And they throw him overboard. Sleep with the fishes, Jonah. Literally. That's my best joke, not a flipping laugh. (laughs) One, thank you. He's reached rock bottom. 
Proverbs 16, verse 25 says this. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. In other versions it says, there is a way that appears to be right to man, but in the end it leads to death. You know that path that you're on, which you're so certain when you first get on it is the right way? Is the way that's going to bring that contentment and satisfaction that you've been looking for. And then you get on it and you get partway down it and you think, oh no, maybe it's not. Because there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And the path that Jonah was on ultimately brought him pain and disappointment. And more often than not, that's our story when we choose our own course. The path that seems right to us doesn't work out. We end up feeling sick under the bed, wishing we'd never set out this way. Or we get to where we thought we needed to be, but we're still not content. Or or worst of all, we end up addicted to the thing that we thought would bring us freedom. We can't trust ourselves. Honestly, you make a rubbish God. I do too. Rubbish. I'm a rubbish God. We need to be rescued from ourselves, just as it is for Jonah. And so the rescue plan is this. A fish comes along and eats him, which seems like things just got a whole lot worse. But we read in that final verse that the Lord provided the fish. Thanks, Lord. Thank you for that. A big fish to eat me. And the fish. Can't not talk about the fish. Well, whether it's, it's Moby Dick, whether it's a giant whale, whether actually we believe it ever really happened or not, what I see is this. In Jonah's darkest moment, God scoops him up and draws him back to himself. See, I don't think that God sends the fish to punish or to kill Jonah, but to rescue him. And the fish for me is a symbol of mercy, not punishment. It's a symbol that we can't stray too far. We can't be too far down the wrong path for God to rescue us. None of us are too far gone. No matter what you've done or how far away from God you feel, you're not beyond him. See, no one is written off, no matter how deliberate our disobedience has been. No matter where else you've looked for your answers. Which is good news for all of us. Trust me. Because there will be places where we all feel we've gone off track. And, And this is hope. There is hope and a second chance for us. So back to the beginning. I'm four. I'm ridiculously cute, but I'm hiding under the bed. I've eaten a whole load of cake. I'm feeling pretty sorry for myself. I'm feeling sick now as well. And my mum finds me. She comes in. What happens now? Well, an incredible thing happens. My mum comes in and she sees the mess that I've gotten myself into. And she does this. She picks me up. She scoops me up in her arms. And she forgives me. And she loves me. And she sets me back on my feet. Remarkable, incredible, undeserved. In Jesus, God scoops us up, 
and holds us and forgives us and sets us back on the path from wherever we are. It's no coincidence that the three days that that Jonah spent in the belly of the whale are mirrored in the New Testament by the three days that Jesus spent down in the depths of the tomb. Jesus goes there on our behalf. The actions that we've taken, the course that we've chosen, which leads to death, is taken by Jesus in his death. And in the three days he's down in the depths and in his rising again on the third day. See, God is the God of second chances. He refuses to leave us in the mess that we make for ourselves, which is good news. And as we'll see in the coming weeks and in the coming chapters, Jonah's disobedience doesn't disqualify him from God's plans. In fact, what we'll see in the coming weeks and in the coming chapters is that God restores Jonah despite his disobedience. If there's one thing that is a fundamental to the Christian faith, it's that we worship a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and it keeps on going. Jesus said this. I'm closing now. Jesus said this. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time is now. Jesus has arrived. Jesus, believe it or not, is present in this room tonight. The time has come. What better time than now? Jesus is here. Repent and believe. Repent. Repent means to, to turn around or to change course. So where we've chosen our own path and been deviating, we recognize that's what's happened. We own up to it. We confess. We say, Lord, I've been on the wrong path. And to repent means to choose to realign ourselves with God's best for us. And to believe, repent and believe. Believe means to place our full weight upon the new thing. To trust that God does have the best for us. To trust that when he asks us something and when we're to obey, it's because he loves us. He loves us in the way that a mother says, don't eat the cake because you'll feel sick. He loves us. He knows what's best for us. Jesus says, will you turn around and trust in me from wherever you are? And some of you might be thinking, I don't know. It's all well and good, but, but Nineveh, the place before him, still seems pretty grim. Still a pretty big ask. And we'll, we'll come to that in the coming weeks of this story. But for what it's worth, in my experience, it's, in the places, it's been in the places of greatest sacrifice that I've seen God more real, where I've seen greater contentment, where I've seen more joy, where I've found more purpose. It's in those places. It's where the biggest step is required, where God most fully rushes in to meet me. What if you try trusting him? So today, today if you're trying to decide which path to take, if you know you've been going through the motions, if God has been speaking but you've been pretending that you don't hear him, 
If you know that you've been drifting and can't see a way forward. If you feel like you're at rock bottom and you want a fresh start. Jesus says, repent and believe. Would you repent and believe? Turn to me and trust my ways. He's a good, good father. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us afresh. We pray for real clarity in what you would say, and we, we want to hear you clearly. Even the one thing this evening that you'd show to us as our next step of obedience to you, from wherever we are, however we come this evening. Lord, thank you that you can be trusted. Thank you that you can be trusted. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love nothing more than to scoop us up and set us back on the right path. Thank you that you are a father who loves us. And so we choose to repent and believe. We bring before you the thing and the things and the ways and the the ways of being and the choices we've made and, and the things that we recognize aren't your best for us. And we choose to realign ourselves with you, Jesus, with your ways, with your best for us, with your life. And we believe, we place our trust in you. Would you do a work in us? Would you help us to live lives obedient to you, that we would rise up, that we would take your call to go? And that we would be moving forward. And we pray, Lord, that you would receive all glory. Amen. Amen. We're going to take, um, take some time to respond. Um, and we normally do that by going straight into some singing some songs and, and worshipping again. But we're just going to take a little, a little minute, a few minutes, to respond where we are. Um, so space to think process. What is God saying in this moment right now? What is God saying and what are you going to do about it? What is that next step of obedience? And so we're going to respond. We're going to do that. Then the band are going to come and are going to lead us in worship in a few minutes time. But let's just in the silence and in the space, just respond to God in our hearts, in our minds. You might want to pray, you might just want to sit and think, but let's do that together just now.